press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Monday, August 15. Medicare statistics are grossly exaggerating the number of consultations bulk billed every year, with patients in the poorest areas of Australia having the greatest difficulty seeing a doctor for free. The Federal Health Minister, Mark Butler, says he's extremely concerned even pensioners are now being charged gap fees to see a doctor. Unions and bosses will be asked to hammer out a deal before next month's job summit on how to fix labour shortages including a skilled migration program that's balanced by training for local workers. The Albanese government wants a long-term solution as the economy struggles to recover from COVID shutdowns. A fresh insight into what drove Scott Morrison's February 2020 decision to close the borders, throwing the economy into chaos and changing all our lives forever. In just a moment, we'll hear about a new investigation that reveals the deep fears within Australia's government about what China was really up to. Plus, later in the episode, former PM John Howard drops bombshells on Scott Morrison, Donald Trump and the Liberal Party. Plus, we find out what he really thinks about the national anthem. Australians political journalists Simon Benson and Jeff Chambers are revealing what really happened behind the scenes as Australia reeled from the impact of COVID-19. They've written a new book, Plagued, and Jeff Chambers joins me now. Jeff, one of the fascinating insights in your book is how Scott Morrison became increasingly worried about China as COVID blew up in the early months of 2020. And he really saw a malign influence, not only in China's other activities like cyber spying and aggression that were going on at the time, but also how he believed China would actively seek to exploit COVID-19. What exactly was he worrying about there? Morrison was concerned about China flexing its economic muscle in the region and specifically targeting Australia. The advice that came through very strongly and very early in the piece was that this was an opportunity for Xi Jinping and China to seize the situation and to grow their global footprint and what we saw play out through the pandemic once they had contained their early outbreaks was them flexing their muscle in terms of vaccine diplomacy and other infrastructure. So like here in Australia, where we needed to ramp up infrastructure to keep people in jobs, this occurred throughout the world. So what China did fairly openly was pump a lot of money through their BRI and through their soft diplomacy channels. And we've seen this play out in the South Pacific China has done a deal that could put their troops within striking distance of Australia. Beijing has signed a security pact with the Solomon Islands. They were very, very anxious about the economic side of things and also about the political relationship blowing up even further. And uh, ultimately, we saw that. We saw that in the supply chain pressures. Our ability to get medical equipment in to the country was severely hindered and also in that high-tech space as well. One of the most dramatic moments in the book is when Morrison decided to shut the borders in early February 2020. And I was interested to learn it was after seeing footage on TV of what was happening in Italy. Can you take us through what was happening there? You recall that 
awful vision that we were seeing coming through Italy as, as COVID-19 ripped through the country and they didn't have enough places at the morgue, the crematoriums were full and you had bodies all over the street. This is the chapel at Cremona Hospital in northern Italy. The morgue is full, so bodies are being kept here until they can be buried. The intensive care unit has no beds left. And we saw this also in New York. If an advanced country like the US, UK and others can see their health systems crumble under the pressure, there was a deep concern that that would happen here. After the last big national emergency like this, the global financial crisis, Kevin Rudd and Wayne Swan were very eager to talk about how well they'd handled it. Is that the same sense that you get from the former coalition government now? I think given the scale of their election defeat, there's a lot of introspection going on and a lot of wound licking that's happening. So you're actually you're getting quite a few people who look back and think, well, we shouldn't have let Scott Morrison go so far? Or why did we agree to break the bank to pump all this cash into households and businesses? I think as time goes on, Peter Dutton will definitely cling on to those really successful areas. We've got Labor in power now. They've inherited a lot of really problematic areas around labour shortages, supply chains, critical minerals and rare earths, and a really tricky geostrategic situation with China. As much as You've seen the rhetoric toned down. It's not going anywhere. It hasn't gone anywhere. That is a very challenging situation. Jeff Chambers is The Australian's chief political correspondent. He and political editor Simon Benson are the authors of a new book, Plagued. Up next, John Howard drops a few truth bombs on the Liberal Party. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one been shot with the shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for CrimeX Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime. It's almost 15 years since John Howard exited Parliament, losing his seat of Benelong and government. He's one of those political figures who grew in the role of Prime Minister and has grown since in stature and regard. He's now regarded by the Liberal Party as a kind of patron saint. In his new book, A Sense of Balance, John Howard says it is our level-headedness or our sense of balance that has defined Australia as a nation and will safeguard our future. But there are some surprises in the book for people on his side of politics and there'll be some uncomfortable reading. I'm joined now by Troy Bramston, who spoke to Howard for The Weekend Australian magazine and, of course, has been revealing the news of what's contained in Howard's new book. Troy, 
he's now an almost unassailable figure, isn't he, in, in the Liberal pantheon? You don't hear much criticism of John Howard anymore. No, you don't. He's like a godlike figure, I guess, in the Liberal Party today. He was always a respected Prime Minister, even though sometimes he was controversial and he was divisive. Uh, he's also successful. You know, he won four elections in a row, and the only other Prime Minister to do that in the modern era is Bob Hawke. He is venerated inside the Liberal Party, but I think he is also increasingly respected by a number of his Labor contemporaries. He was pressed into service during the recent election campaign, travelled the country. And I asked Howard about the public reaction to him and he sort of smiled and said, well, it hasn't become more hostile, put it that way. So he is a kind of a fatherly sort of political figure uh, who is, I think, growing in respect. What did he say about Scott Morrison? He's very tough on Scott Morrison. He thought that the central reason why they lost government was because they didn't present a clear and compelling vision for the future that distinguished themselves enough from Labor. He said being better economic managers, being decent pandemic managers, having good national security policies isn't enough. He said that the coalition had balked at any major economic reform in the past five years. So he is a guy who obviously went to elections promising to privatise assets, introduce a GST, reform industrial relations. He thinks the Liberal Party has taken its eye off the main game. John Howard, of course, was once the subject of a similar internal critique. This is the famous Mean and Tricky memo in 2001, where party president Shane Stone, reflecting on the result in the Queensland state election, said that there was a perception that the party was mean and tricky and, by extension, Howard himself was leading that kind of government. What's the difference now? That was how voters perceived his government. And of course, the Howard government lost the Ryan by-election at the beginning of 2001. Um, but by the middle of the year and towards the end of the year, they had started to recover. They had held the Aston by-election in Melbourne, for example, which was a key marker of that. And I guess the lesson is that good prime ministers do suffer setbacks, but they learn to recover. They learn to rebuild. They listen to the electorate. They can change course. And indeed, Bob Hawke did that. Paul Keating did that. Robert Menzies did that generations earlier. John Howard had the advantage of being Prime Minister in a time when the party was prepared to stick with a leader through downturns, bad news polls. That's gone now. What's Howard's assessment of that? Well, look, he's actually very critical in the new book about Tony Abbott being felled by Malcolm Turnbull. He says in the book there's no reason for the party to get rid of Tony Abbott. That was very, very damaging for the government. Then, of course, Malcolm Turnbull got brought down himself. Is this the last supper? The Prime Minister calls Cabinet to dinner. The Prime Minister under real pressure. Malcolm Turnbull arrives for a crisis Cabinet meeting. Ministers are having what they're describing as a working dinner inside the Cabinet room. Interestingly, there's a smaller side in the book where Howard actually says that he had a phone call with Malcolm Turnbull after the 2016 election where he asked him to make Tony Abbott defence minister, saying, you know, you really should put Tony back into the cabinet in a senior role, ideally defence, to help heal the wounds. But Turnbull didn't do that. So he, he rejected the advice of the Liberal Party's second longest serving prime minister, and those divisions remain. One of the other things he's critical of Scott Morrison about is the handling of the departure of Australia Post boss Christine Holgate. The simple truth is I was bullied out of my job. I was humiliated and driven to despair. I was thrown under the bus so the chairman of Australia Post could curry favour with his political masters. 
What does John Howard say about that? Yeah, look, it's a little bit surprising uh, to read this in the book because he regarded Christine Holgate as a very successful businesswoman. She got caught up in an estimates hearing where it was revealed that she had given luxury watches to senior executives. Now, it was later proven that there was uh, nothing wrong with that because it was sort of like an incentive bonus scheme. But Scott Morrison savaged her in the parliament. And so John Howard quite surprisingly says this was an egregious attack. That's the word he uses. And he said the Prime Minister's office could have been perceived as essentially bullying her out of that role. We're now dealing with the fallout of the January 6th riot at the Capitol and Donald Trump's role in that. The first big news story that you broke from the Howard book is his thoughts about Donald Trump. What did he say? Yeah, look, he said to me quite clearly, I'm not a fan of Donald Trump's. He called his behaviour atrocious, appalling, and even used the word disgraceful in terms of how he firstly refused to accept the outcome of the 2020 presidential election, said there was electoral fraud, tried to overturn that result, and as carried on in a way that's been undignified for a U.S. president. You'll never take back our country with weakness. We fight like hell. This is going to surprise, I think, a lot of conservatives in political and media circles in Australia that Howard has essentially savaged Trump, says he's unfit to return to the presidency, and he hopes that the Republican Party will choose a different nominee. Are there any other bombshells? He says, actually, he's agnostic on climate change, even though he did propose an emissions trading scheme at the 2007 election. He supports nuclear power. He doesn't support compulsory voting. He voted for Walsing Matilda to be the national anthem in the 1977 song poll. And, you know, so hang on, just stopping you there. Yeah. John Howard doesn't like Advance Australia Fair? No, well, there was a poll in 1977 put by the Fraser government to ask people whether they wanted to keep with Advance Australia Fair, go back to God Save the Queen. There was another thing called the Song of Australia and Walsing Matilda. Walsing Matilda, Walsing Matilda. And so Fraser and Howard, can you believe it, thought Walsing Matilda, <laughs> a song about stealing sheep, should be our <laughs> national anthem. <laughs> He's open to the voice. That's really interesting because the last three Liberal Prime Ministers who came after him, of course, have all been said they're against it, a constitutionally enshrined voice. He supports a joint sitting of both Houses of Parliament to be called without a double dissolution election to resolve deadlocks, which is pretty interesting. And look, that's just some of the things that, that he writes about. But it's a very interesting, wide-ranging, often compelling book. Troy Bramston is a senior writer with The Australian. Thanks for joining us on The Front. You can read that extract from Plagued and check out all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.